Hi, everyone. Shavua Tov. So special to be together. We had an absolutely wonderful, really special Shabbat at Chabad and DG in Montreal. Today, we had a guest sermon by Basmat Gabe Lobenberg. She did a special sermon in loving memory of her daughter, Laura, who we miss dearly, who left us at the tender age of 22. And whenever Basmat speaks, it just goes straight to the heart. It's so powerful and so profound. I want to talk about my reaction to her words and what it conjured up within me. Uh, before I do that, I want to remind you that tomorrow, tomorrow evening, we're going to be hosting a wonderful comedy event to support Zaka. They need the money um, so desperately. And I saw firsthand when I was in Israel the great work they do. And I'm going to include a link so that you can get tickets. There's still a bunch of tickets left, and we need you to be there. And I will be there, and I hope that you can be there too. So let's talk about today's sermon. If you remember, right after October 7th, I was honored to be able to travel to Israel. And one of the things that I spoke about, while I thought, here I am coming from Montreal, coming from the diaspora to support the people who were affected by the conflicts, whether it was the families of the hostages or those who were injured in the hospitals or, or the hundreds of thousands who evacuated from their homes in the North and the South. But what I saw and what I experienced was not me inspiring them, but them inspiring me. These incredible humans, these Israelis, were telling me that they were concerned about the situation of the Jews in the diaspora. They were saying that they read on social media now about the spread of anti-Semitism, and they're concerned, uh, genuinely concerned about us. In many cases, obviously, they were talking about me coming back and encouraging the Jews here to make Aliyah, saying that obviously there's less anti-Semitism in the streets, and that in Israel, everyone's in the same boat. We'll, we'll get through this, is what they said. But how will you survive? Because... Anti-Semitism is only getting worse. That was a, one of the main messages that I saw. Today, Bozmat spoke about this idea of building a Mishkan. She uh, had some very, very poignant lines. So let me talk about the Lobenbergs for a second. For eight long, difficult years, they basically lived in the hospital with their beloved Laura. If I could say lived, they lived. Bosmat basically spent every night with her in the hospital. Surgery after surgery, time after time. I mean, there were times that they would turn their living room into an ICU, and then she'd be back in the hospital, was back and forth. Eight, eight difficult, difficult years. And Bosmat kind of broached on this, but this is what it inspired within me. She was talking about the idea 
of making a home for God. And wherever you are, make that your home. And I then all of a sudden started picturing what I had seen in the hospital during those years. Literally every single room, hospital room, that Laura was in was transformed into a home. They completely took it over. I don't even know what the hospital thought about it because they literally took it over. There were there were beautiful pictures and designs and 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 literally they just moved the house into the hospital room. And it, it, when you walked in there, you, you walked through the hospital. And obviously, many of us know that walking through a hospital is a very difficult thing, and 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 it's cold, and and there's a there's a certain sense of of impersonality in a hospital. And then you walk into Laura Lobenberg's room, and you feel like you're in the Lobenberg home. It, the whole entire room. I, I, don't, I don't know why I'm, I'm kind of laughing, but it was so beautiful. You walk into the room and you just feel like they totally transformed the room. They took over. They rearranged everything. The walls were just covered. There was beautiful balloons and colors everywhere. And, and that is how Laura would wake up each morning during that time. And I think about this commandment that God commands us. That we should make God a dwelling place so that God can dwell amongst us. I want to tell you about one of the great Hasidic leaders. His name was Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Berdichev. He was a great Torah scholar and he had a wonderful sense of, of music. The previous Rebbe writes that the famous violinist Yehudi Mnuchin was a descendant, and he actually inherited the sense of music from his grandfather, the great Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Berdichev. And what Rabbi Levi Yitzchak was famous for was being the advocate of Israel. He was famous for his love and his concern for Israel and for the Jewish people. And he would advocate for them before God. I'm going to tell you a few anecdotes to just describe this so you have an idea of who this individual was. He once saw a wagon driver, and the wagon driver was wearing his talit and his tefillin, preparing his wagon for travel. He was uh, greasing the wheels as he prayed. Now, another person who maybe was a little more judgmental, let's say, would have been very critical, seeing that he's wearing his talit and he's wearing the tefillin, he's desecrating the prayer. But Rabbi Levi Yitzchak saw something completely different. He turned to the heavens and he said, the master of the universe, what devout children you have. Even when they grease their wheels, they're praying. That was who he was. He once uh, encountered a young man eating in public on Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year and the day that we fast. Rabbi Levi Yitzchak approached him and he said, uh, excuse me, but uh, perhaps you don't feel well. <laughs> the young man says, I'm healthy as a horse. So he said, maybe you forgot that today is Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year. He looks at him and he says, Rabbi, who doesn't know that today is Yom Kippur? Okay, okay, okay. Maybe they didn't teach you that Jews don't eat on Yom Kippur. He said, come on, Rabbi, I know that Jews don't eat on Yom Kippur. Every child knows that we don't eat on Yom Kippur. 
With that, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak raises his eyes to the heavens and he says, Master of the universe, see how wonderful your children are. Here sits a Jew who eats on Yom Kippur and yet he refuses to lie. This is the kind of person he was. So he once shared a very interesting idea. He asked, why does the Torah refer to Passover as Chag HaMatzot, the festival of matzot, of matzah, of unleavened bread? While we call it Pesach, Passover, why don't, if we call it Passover, why doesn't the Torah use this name for the holiday? We don't say, ah, have a happy Chag HaMatzot. No, we say have a happy Passover, happy Pesach. And he gave a very interesting answer. He said, in the Torah, God describes the holiday with a name that emphasizes the greatness of the Jewish people, Chag HaMatzot. Matzah reminds us how we left Egypt, the most advanced civilization of the time. And we followed Moses into the desert with only a few pitas. They didn't ask what they would eat and where they would find medicine for the old or, or milk for the babies. They went with full trust of their creator. And so therefore, God calls it Chag HaMatzot, emphasizing the greatness of the people. But the Jewish people, Rabbi Levi Yitzhak says, calls it Passover, which highlights the greatness of God when God passed over and spared the homes of the Israelites, despite their spiritual decline, and he redeemed them from Egypt. In other words, what he's saying is he praises us while we praise him. God praises us while we praise God. And it's a beautiful, symbiotic relationship. That's what I saw during Basmat's speech today. Now, the Rebbe once shared a very similar idea in this week's Torah portion from his father, who had the same name. His name was Rabbi Levi Yitzchak. And he said that the line that Basmat used, that God commands the children of Israel, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God wants the people to build for God something tangible here in the physical world. The first command is regarding the ark. Now, God doesn't speak about the building itself, its width and, and its height. Instead, there's something strange almost. God speaks about the furnishings. What's going to be inside this structure? And the first furnishing mentioned in the ark, which emphasizes that this is the most important item in the tabernacle and the temple, the Torah explains how to build the ark of the covenant. Cover it with gold inside and out. Insert the poles. And above it, there should be a cover made of gold. And on it, there be, should be two cherubs resembling the faces of infants. And inside the ark, Moses is to place the tablets. And then the Torah concludes with the most beautiful words. And there, the Torah says, I will meet you and I will speak with you. From above the ark cover, 
from between the two Shirubim, which are upon the Ark of the Testimony. The account here is simple. It's smooth. It's basic. It's almost shocking. But when you compare this with the next time the Torah mentions God speaking from between these two faces of infants, the Shirubim, there's a difference. And you look there in Parshat Naso, in the very last verse of the portion, the Torah writes, and when Moses would go into the tent of meaning, of meeting for God to speak with him, he would hear the voice speaking to him from above the ark of him that was upon the ark of testimony from between the two cherubs. Now, here in this verse, the Torah first mentions the ark and only afterwards these two faces of the infants. In the verse in our Torah portion, it's the exact opposite. It's the faces of the infants and then the ark. Now, Jews were, were meticulous about every letter in the Torah. We're also meticulous about the order of things. So here's the question. A question that, after listening to Basmat, has been bothering me all day. Why, in our portion, does the Torah mention the faces of the infants, the Sherubim first, while the opposite in the book of Mabinbo? Here's what I think. What do the, the Sherubs symbolize? What are these the two faces. I'm sure you've seen, if whether it's been Indiana Jones or Basmat always talks about the Nova Scotia. I think there's in a, some kind of documentary she showed me once where they think that the Ark of the Covenant is there. I mean, it's been a story through since the beginning of time. There's people who, who are digging in the tunnels underneath the Temple Mount. They say you know, there's a story about uh, Ezekiel uh, hiding uh, the, the Ark there. Indiana Jones, obviously. What, are, what is this ark? What is the, the, this, the symbol of these two infants on top of the ark? What, it, what does it symbolize? They're shaped in the image of a, of a child's face. I think it teaches about God's immense love for the children of Israel. It comes in the form of love for a small child. This means that the Sherubim symbolize the Jewish people, while the ark containing the tablets represents God who gave us the tablets. This holds the key to understanding why the ark or the, the, the infants, the faces of the infants are mentioned first in the Torah and second later on in the portion of Naso in Bamidbar. In our Torah portion, the verse is speaking from God's perspective. You see, in life, in film, so many of us love film. In film, the first thing that the screenwriter has to understand is POV, point of view. From whose point of view are you going to tell the story? From whose point of view are you going to tell the narrative? That is the first question before you even write a film. The Torah is taught from a point of view. This week's Torah portion, the POV, is God's perspective. There, I will meet with you. 
That's what it says. So God focuses on the aspect which shines light on his love for the Jewish people. These two faces of the children. But in the second verse, in Nassau, that POV is the POV of Moses. That's the perspective of Moses. And it focuses on that perspective. It focuses on God's presence. And therefore, it mentions the ark before the faces of the infants. In the Rebbe's words, the Rebbe says this beautifully, God is more meticulous about the honor of Israel than his own honor. Moses, it's the exact opposite. Moses is more meticulous about honoring God than the honor for the Jewish people. Perhaps this was difficult for you to follow, but if you just had to take out the main point here, is whose perspective is it? Is it God's perspective or our perspective? And so many things that happen in our lives, going down to, to the basic, basic elements of life, we're so easy when life gets difficult to blame God. It's so easy. But when life's wonderful, somehow we forget. We just forget that God exists. And so we have to think about when things happen, whose POV, whose point of view is this happening through? And I think this indicates that Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Abraditchev's teaching about Passover is based on God's conduct in the Torah itself, where God mentions Israel first and Moses mentions God first. In a healthy marriage, I know, I have to talk about marriage. I have to talk about love. Can't help it. People literally this week were calling me and saying, oh, it's your holiday. I don't know how it became my holiday. I think, uh, I don't even know, I mean, I don't even want to get into the elements of, of, of what they're talking about. I think every day is a holiday of love and connection and marriage. In a healthy marriage, the husband always gives credit to his wife. And the wife always gives credit to the husband. They both want to give 100%. It's not a tit-for-tat world. Each one wants to give 100%. So, this is ingrained in the Jewish culture, that in a situation of war, when a person is stuck in a hotel for over four months with three children, without a job, when this person is uncertain whether they'll ever be able to return home, what are they doing? They're busy concerning themselves with the well-being of others. With the Jews of the diaspora, where, where their next meal is coming from, they don't even know. They're stuck. It's horrific. I mean, there's not enough conversation about the terrible displacement of hundreds of thousands of people throughout Israel during this, this war, the longest war in Israel's history. A war that they never wanted, never asked for, and the whole world is condemning them for. A war in which any other country would have carpet bombed because they could where they have gone and done the most precise precise precision taking out the terrorists for the love and honor of human life 
They have lost more soldiers as a result of this than any other military would even consider. But of course, I digress here because apparently Moses was Palestinian, right? But here it is. I'm sitting with a man, I'll never forget it, Shlomo from Kfar Maimon, in a hotel in Jerusalem. And he's asking me, but what about the Jews of the diaspora? How can we help you with dealing with anti-Semitism? That is so embedded within our people. It's so embedded within who we are. He has his own problems. He obviously knows that they're more severe. But it's in the Jewish DNA to care for others before caring for yourself. Every single day. And I don't, I don't know if Basmat will, will watch this and she'll get to this point. But every single day, as I watched Basmat and Eric and Leah care for Laura, so much more than they would ever, ever care for themselves. Giving everything they can, every, they know stone was unturned. It was unbelievable. Eight long, excruciating years. Not only that, but there were moments, for whatever reason, I didn't want to bother them. And I would say, I, I don't, and they would call me, why aren't you coming? Where are you? I said, but, but you're dealing with such serious things. You're, you're in the hospital in the neuro with Laura. Well, what do you mean? And what's going on? How are the kids? And, and Buzmat, in the middle of dealing with, with the hospital, is making events a, a, a and, and, and calling other people and worrying about other people. Today, I, I, I watched someone talk about what it means to build a home, to build a home for God. And I said, you know, I always say that if you want to know who to get advice from, the best person to get advice from is a person who has done what you want to do and been successful. Which means if you want to get advice about marriage, don't go to someone who's been divorced three times or who's never been married. I don't care what kind of credentials they have. And I've said this so many times, that the only credential that I have to talk about marriage is the fact that I've been in a loving relationship with Sarah for 19 years of marriage, 19 plus years. That's my only credential. Nothing else, not my experience, not anything I've learned. That's it. Because if you want to get advice about something, you go to someone who has done what you've done and been successful. Today, Basmat stood up and she wasn't speaking with, she was speaking with an authority and with a knowledge and with a knowledge of the Torah and the Parsha. But most of all, what I saw and what I experienced deep within my heart was someone who was speaking with the experience and the knowledge that I have done this and been successful. I have managed to make a home. A home is where the heart is. To make a home no matter where we were, no matter how difficult, no matter what challenge God has put my way, I still made a home and continue to make a home. There's no way that a parent can ever recover from such a catastrophe. 
It's not normal. The normal way is for a child to, after 120 years, have the honor of laying their parent to rest, not the opposite way around. That's not the regular way. That's not anything anyone should ever know. And like those people in Israel caring for others, throughout all of that difficulty, caring for others, this is what the Torah is referring to. And this is the message that I want to share with you that I learned today, a message that came deep from the heart. And it says that those words that come from the heart, they enter the heart. And this, this is what we learned from God himself in this week's Torah portion. I want to make a l'chaim to Rivka Laura, bat yibadel l'chaim tovim, Asher and Basmat, to Laura Lobenberg, where Neshama should have an aliyah, and she should continue looking down upon us and being a good to better. She should, she should ask and, and, and beseech God for this war to end, for the suffering to end, for all of this terrible, terrible, for the people, her people, she, her love for Israel and her love for the Jewish people is so great. So I ask you, dear Laura, beseech the heavens for all of us, for the soldiers who desperately need your prayers right now, for the Zaka volunteers who are doing some of the most difficult work that anyone can ever imagine. I will never be the same after that experience. And for all of the people of Israel and for all of the people of the world, may we be able to enter a world of absolute peace. Laura, continue praying for us. And Bozmat and Eric, especially Bozmat, thank you. Thank you for your inspiration. And thank you for sharing your heart. I wish you all a beautiful week. And for those of you in Montreal, I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow night at the wonderful comedy event. Shavuot Tov.